Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business around live events. Whether you're running small meetups or conferences, trade shows, and concerts, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. It integrates with all the major payment gateways such as Stripe, PayPal, and Braintree. And we also have the best email integrations out there, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip, and many, many more. You can use our versatile website builder or embed tickets directly in your own site. We've got thousands of live events on EventsFrame, ranging from small community meetups to large trade shows and conferences. EventsFrame is especially good for anyone wanting to run multiple events, as you can host an an unlimited number of events on your EventsFrame account. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's genuinely no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. So head on over to eventsframe.com for a free one-month trial. And we also have a special offer just for podcast listeners. Email me at dan at eventsframe.com, D-A-N at eventsframe.com with the subject line podcast, and I'll send you a special discount code. So that's all. Let's get on to the interview. Hello and welcome to the Events Podcast. Today I'm delighted to be talking to Liam Martin. Liam is the founder of the Running Remote Conference and he's also founded at least two SaaS businesses that I can find, Time Doctor and, and Staff.com. So he's, he's an expert in remote teams. Uh, running Remote, this conference, people keep telling me about it. It's, it's in Bali. Uh, it's hugely interesting to me personally because obviously I've got a remote team in, in, in my two businesses. So, uh, Liam, it's a huge pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Cool. Liam, could we possibly start off by just getting into a little bit of your entrepreneurial background? I mean, some people here will know you and some won't. So it'd be great to get a quick, quick overview. Sure. Yeah. So, a uh, quick three minute rundown. I was going to become a professor of sociology like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And I was at McGill University, realized that uh, I didn't want to do that. I remember teaching my very first class. I had 300 students, ended up with less than 100 by the end of that semester. <laughs> and I remember walking into my supervisor's office and I said, I don't think I'm very good at this. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, so then what should I do next? And he said, uh, well, you really kind of have to get good at this teaching thing. So uh, you either get good at that or figure out something else to do. And about two months later, I threw a master's thesis under his door, got a master's instead of a PhD that was out in the real world, turned that into a business, which was an online tutoring company, uh, which I sold. Then I went on to uh, do a little bit of agency work, uh, do some YouTube work, that kind of stuff. But I happened upon a, a friend of mine who is now my, my business partner, Rob Rawson, and the CEO of Time Doctor and Staff.com. I'm the CMO. And he was, he had this little alpha app that was kind of like, what is, that would measure how efficiently someone was working remotely, which was a huge problem for me in my tutoring business. It's actually what ended up making me sell it because we recognized that <coughs> the, the student and the tutor 
would constantly be in conflict. The student would say, I worked five hours with the tutor instead of 10. I'd go to the tutor and they'd say, no, I worked 10 hours with the student. Yep. So I'd end up having to pay the student, uh, pay the tutor for the 10 hours and refund the student for five hours. And this was killing the business. So sure. Time Doctor would have completely solved that problem for me in that business. So it was a very personal itch type of business. Started that, things went pretty well down that direction, we built out an enterprise product, which is staff.com. And then the bigger kind of connection to running remote, which is the conference that you mentioned, is we had a, we have a team of approximately 100 people, almost 100 people. And we were trying to figure out how do we get to 200 people or 500 people. And we recognized that there was no conference out there for that. There were a lot of conferences on how to be a digital nomad. Ironically, I'm actually in a co-working space in Playa del Carmen in Mexico and uh, kind of hanging out with the digital nomad crew, but there are, there were no conferences, not just for be a consultant or how to be a contractor, but how do you actually build large scale teams yep. remotely? And so that's why we built the conference. We really wanted to build it for someone like me and someone like you that has a company we have a whole bunch of remote employees we may be nomadic or we may not be but fundamentally we're looking at how to build businesses it really kind of blew up um we were we were blown away you know you make that initial commitment at the beginning and i think probably this podcast should really be about where uh, to get this type of information because i found there wasn't much and i'm very happy that you're building a podcast on conferences because uh, we found almost nothing when we first started the conference. And I basically just said, okay, we're going to cut a hundred thousand dollar check and see what happens. You know, it's interesting. The more people you talk to who run conferences, and I've spoken to a lot at this point and plus around a lot myself, people do it so differently as well. You know, there isn't, there's no one right way to run it. You know, I mean, obviously the, the real key thing everyone universally has is you need to have a checklist. You've got a good checklist process. You can run it. I mean, the, the key differentiator of a conference, I think, is like, do you have an audience to start off mm-hmm. with? Because if you have an audience, it's very easy to run to run a conference, you know, because you, you can get it going as a kind of meet up year one, grow it year two. The, the real, the hard thing with a conference, I think, is if, if you don't have an audience from, from day one and then you've got to figure out how to sell it, how to have a unique selling point. And that, that's the thing that people struggle with, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I mean... We didn't have that problem. We had the audience in the sense that, so we built Running Remote as a very separate conference from our SaaS businesses. So we didn't see it necessarily as kind of, you didn't have to be a time doctor or staff.com customer to come to the conference. If anything, we actually really wanted to create a very clear differentiator between that because we recognized that we wanted to let in a lot of different people into the conference. We actually had one of our competitors speak at our conference. That's great. Uh, So we really wanted to just, this is about trying to build out remote work as a community and as a movement. And we're, you know, if, if that's true, if we're really committed to that, then that means that maybe that conference actually comes into conflict with some of our tech companies. Or, you know, we'll have some of our competitors speak at the conference, that type of a thing. So we made that commitment from the very beginning. But we did have an ace in the hole, which is we have an email list of all of our customers and we that are all building remote teams. And we said, hey, (laughs) uh, do you want to come? And uh, that probably was 
maybe 50% of overall ticket sales. So what, so can I ask, what, what was the year again you, you first ran the running remote uh, conference? So we ran it in June of 2018. Great. So relatively new. Great. So it's, so it's just, I, I, yeah, in, in my mind, I thought it was the third time. So really, it's just coming up, it'll be the second time, obviously, this year in, in June 2019. That's great because you know what, you, you've created a lot of buzz. I've heard about it from a few different... I mean, I guess because you know I'm kind of you know on the fringes of the sort of location independent kind of business community, I guess. So, mm-hmm. but I've I've heard a lot of people mention it, so it's it's got a lot of publicity really quickly, which is great. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Uh, you don't really see it being inside of it, but uh, that's actually one of the things that has been really rewarding for me is I've been wearing my running remote T-shirt at conferences when I speak at conferences, and I'll have I've had dozens of people come up to me saying, "Hey." Did you go to the running remote conference? And then I'll I'll say yes I did, and and then I'll ask them why they didn't go, or did they go? Why they didn't go? And it's great data to collect because they're not really associating me with the being the organizer of the conference. So it's been really good to collect that type of data and get those insights on why they didn't or did go. Great. So you know what would be fantastic is just to kind of go through. You know how you did it like what was your process i know you've, you've got a document which we're going to share like how did you like from coming up with the idea what are the steps it, that you took and then we can we can have a quick chat about them sure well so number one i find that the community and what i'm calling like the event marketing community or the event space community is uh very very quiet yeah. <laughs> they don't necessarily disclose what the economics are uh, for running an event. So before we actually started the event, um, I had my research team go out and collect a whole bunch of data on what are the biggest conferences in the space, what are the economics of those conferences, all of those types of details. And we came up with very, very little. But then when I ended up actually interacting with people that ran large, successful conferences, uh, two examples of people that have really helped me out is uh, Ryan Dice from Traffic and Conversion Summit yep. and Alex Thuma from uh, SaaS Stock yep. in Europe. Um, both of those guys have done have, have really kind of shown me the ropes and the realities of where all of the different kind of barriers that you're going to come up against. But no one's actually documented it. Uh, so we tried as much as we could. We, we wrote a post on basically everything that we did throughout the conference, including our P&Ls and all of our costs and all that kind of stuff. But right off the bat, the event, or sorry, the venue, <clears throat> no one gives you venue, venue pricing. Nothing's available publicly. Yep. Uh, you don't really know what the real price is. So one person gets one price, another person gets another price. And um, the, the unit economics on that are very interesting. So as an example for running remote, if we have 300 people that attend the event for next year and our target is 500, I believe it's going to cost us about $495 per head. If we have over 500, it drops down to about $250 per head. Is that, are you talking, is that just for the, for the events room and, and the catering or is that including any kind of rooms? Yeah. The, the flights, the rooms, like all of our costs combined. Got so it. the unit Got economics it. go down pretty significantly. Yep. And the difference between 300 and 500 is actually not that much. But sure. when you look at the reality, you've basically doubled your profits. Yep. Not only from a gross perspective, but also from a net perspective. So we have been really trying to understand that space and recognize 
like what is you know the the, the modeling for events are. Uh, there's a lot of risk on the event owner, event organizer, and there's very little risk for everyone else, which is, I, I totally understand where that comes from. But yep. like, as an example, if someone, we are currently negotiating with another venue for 2020 and um, everyone wants us to purchase a block of rooms yep. and we're quite resistant towards that because then we're on the lam for 500 hotel rooms. And if we don't, fill those rooms, we got to pay for them no matter what. Those are examples of things that just sort of add an extra level of stress that we weren't initially recognizing when we first yeah. got into event marketing. Although, you know, a lot of hotels, a very popular way to do it with hotels is, um, is you know, obviously you, you get the attendees to pay for their own rooms. And a lot of hotels, the way they work with event organizers is they give, they pay you 10 to 20% of the room rate back to you as the event organizer. That's kind of a standard thing in the, like European <coughs> hotels. Yeah, and you, you can yeah. do it You can do it most places in the world. I, I've advised some friends who run conferences in Thailand and, and they, they you, as long as you ask for it, then, then they'll do it, but they won't offer it to you, you know? So you can, you can probably negotiate to get 10 to 20% pay them to pay you for, for, for the rooms if you do it right. Yeah, so that's actually what we've done with the current venue that we have right now. Yeah. I think we, but we don't, we're not paid out directly. I think for every ten rooms that we sell, we get one free room, right? So that we can put the speakers in those rooms, yeah, uh, which is idea. which is great for us, um, actually. And also, it's even better because then no cash changes hands, um, which is even cleaner. So that's that's great. But then coming up, you know, there's very hard negotiations that go into these types of situations and the initial price that we had for our venue was probably double what we ended up actually negotiating to. Yep. <laughs> and it's it's very interesting how much kind of a I mean I, I come from the SaaS world, right? Where I come from self-serve SaaS, which is there's the price. It's on the website. You know, that's it. That's the price. Yep. Maybe I'll give you a 5% discount if you're really nice to me or if you, you know, you're going to buy a year. But fundamentally, I understand the unit economics. But then with these, with the conference world, it's very complicated. Uh, a lot of counter negotiation goes on and you just don't really recognize what's going on. And also just even dealing with local governments. We've had two governments now that have reached out to us that have decided to, that have offered us money to bring the conference to their country. That's, an that's entire, pretty impressive. I, well, that's, I think it's also because remote work is a bit of, they want to attract basically sure. high-end workers uh, to their country uh, that are not going to be citizens, but they're literally going to come there, hang out, and put maybe you know $50,000 into the economy and leave. Uh, that's great. Uh, the, that's a type of worker that a lot of countries want. Which, but, could you say which countries are? Because I'm, I'm really curious. Because I know, like in Thailand, for example, it's kind of going the other way. They're clamping down on remote work. I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear about the countries that are encouraging I mean, it. Necessarily, um, I think probably if you if you see the the 2020 you know event will probably be with one of those countries. I'm Sounds almost good. positive. Um, I can yeah. Uh, I better not say. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no problem. I was just curious if you could say, but I'm, I'm very interested to hear <laughs> but, about this. It, but they're they're both in Europe and in North America. Right. Um, North America, uh, like uh, North, North, Central, South, and Europe. Got it. Uh, so Got it. there, there are lots of people that are basically saying, yeah, we really want to have remote workers yep. uh, come to our country and become a hub 
So that's something that I think is also an interesting addition because then you go into that negotiation and you counterpoint each country. Well, yeah. you're offering 100 grand. You know what? Country V is offering me 200 grand. And, but, you know, country is offering me 100 grand plus a free venue. And then you just kind of go back and forth and you try to figure out how to play these guys off of each other when in reality. And, and that can completely change the way that your conference runs because you don't want to be answerable to a particular country. Like, I don't want to stay, say that Thailand is the best place for remote workers. It's a very great place for remote workers, but it may not be the best for you. Sure. Whereas in Mexico or Costa Rica or Bali or any of these types of places. So I think it's, you have to also have to be independent. And I think that that's another important factor as well, which kind of gets into the sponsorship side yeah, of yeah. the business, which to me is the first year that we did sponsorships, like last year we did sponsorships. And I think we, it's in our document. I think we did maybe 30,000 in right. sponsorship. Uh, last year we did, I think 30,000 in sponsorship. And I think we did about 90,000 in sales, like 60,000 from ticket sales, 30,000 from sponsors. This year we're about six months out. And I think we're close to probably doing as much in sponsorships as we did in all sales Great. last year. So it's been very interesting how the sponsors have just basically recognized, and this is something that I think a lot of people on their first conference wouldn't get, I'm discovering it now, is uh, they won't pay you anything for your first conference because you're not real yet. Sure. Second conference, man, things 10x. Um, you know, you can jack up your prices and people have no problem with that whatsoever. So that's been a huge kind of um, weight lifted off our shoulders where we know that we can really solidly get probably into at least break even or profitability just from sponsors. That's great. And you know, I was talking to Justin Cook actually from Empire Flippers. Uh, he's, the podcast just went live today, actually, funnily enough. And he was he saying, you know, running remote, 2018. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He mentioned that, and um, he was saying about, you know, for them, you know, they'll pay if if for the right to meet the right audience and to be in a room with the right people, they'll, they'll pay a lot of money. You know, uh, it's 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 all about absolute focus. If if a sponsor's if they're pretty sure they're going to get sales and, and contacts from an event. That they did, they'll pay a lot of money, you know. If they're not, they won't pay anything, you know. It's kind of binary. Yeah, I think also too, just and a lot of this comes down to personal network, which I think is um, like I don't want to say, hey, here's exactly how to do it, because it would be disingenuous to say that my personal network didn't help out with that. So, Justin, as an example from Empire Flippers, they've been a customer of Time Doctor for years. Um, and then when we invited them to speak at the conference, they said, yeah, sure, we'll speak at the conference, no problem. And then they cut us a check and they literally PayPal'd us the money and we didn't even ask. Yeah. And for me, that's a, that's a great, you know, that's someone that just really invigorates you and says, hey, and they basically just said, we believe in you. We hope that this succeeds. Um, <clears throat> we want to support you as much as humanly possible. And we didn't sell that speaking spot. We basically just, we told them that we would really love you to come and uh, that was all cool. And then they, they sent us, they cut us a check, which I think is just really goes to show number one, Ember Flippers is a great company, but then uh, that's very supportive of remote work. <clears throat> but then secondarily, 
there is a component of personal network. And I would say building a conference comes down to customer base, which you mentioned already, but then also can you get top level speakers to come to your conference? And I think that that was one of the things that we got really lucky with at uh, running remote. We surveyed our customers and we asked them who are the top influencers in remote work. And we got uh, two out of, no, three out of the top 10 from that surveyed list to come. And that was what, you know, people were saying, people actually didn't believe that we had the speakers that we had. Uh, so we ended up getting the speakers to make a one minute video of themselves saying, hey, my name's, you know, Joel Gascoigne from Buffer. I'm the CEO of Buffer and I'm really excited to be speaking at Running Remote and blah, blah, blah. And, and then we would give them that video and then they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, it's actually legit because there's a ton of event organizers that end up just saying that someone's speaking at their event and then a month later or a month before the event starts, they'll say, oh, you know, he had to cancel. And I mean, it's a massive bait and switch and you're just completely trashing your community if you do that. But I see that happening. I have actually had that problem where someone put me on a conference deck and I didn't say yes. They emailed me yeah. and said, hey, would you be interested in speaking at this? And I said, yeah, maybe. I mean, let me just double check. And then they put me up on the website. Yeah, it's definitely not, not a good thing. That's actually a great tip. And it's, it's actually the first time anyone said that on the podcast, uh, getting the speakers to record a, a quick video. Most speakers will, will do it. And uh, that, that's actually a great tip. And it's, it's just great promotional material as well. Yeah, we actually have a launch that we're doing pretty soon in the next couple of weeks where every, so we've, they've shot a one minute video, which we make it under one minute so that we can put it up on um, Instagram stories. Yep. And then we will have every speaker put that piece of video on their Instagram, Facebook, whatever it might be, basically blast it on their own social platforms. And then we're going to run those ads and see which ones get the most feedback and which ones move the most tickets, obviously. And it's really good for social proof because it's kind of difficult sometimes to tell speakers, hey, can you put up a you know, running remote um, image on your Instagram? Well, a lot of people maybe wouldn't do that, but they'd be a lot more interested about putting up a video about themselves. Sure. talking about what they're going to talk about now that's interesting so it, it'd be great just to get back because because we, we, we got a bit of a tangent but we started talking about your your process and how obviously getting the venue picking the dates were the first do you do you have any other like high level points from your kind of from your process of that, that you found worked well in terms of order to do things so when we chose our venue we ended up choosing bali because we have a small office out of bali and Igor, who's the co-organizer of the event and is our GM, he was working inside of Time Doctor and he kind of is basically the CEO of the conference. We, uh, he lives in, in Ubud, so we said to ourselves, you know, let's, let's do it out of there. But then we also looked at all our customers. So uh, it's in the blog post, but we have about 13,000 customers. And then we analyzed where they're located uh, we actually used a tool called Intercom to be able to do that. Yeah. And it just puts geo points everywhere. And then we said, okay, well, it's either going to be in the United States, it's going to be in Eastern Europe, or it's going to be in Southeast Asia. And we just knew very clearly those are the three major hubs 
for where we're operating out of. So we decided to go with with Southeast, Southeast Asia um, <clears throat> as an example. And then I just did personal outreach. Me and Igor both did personal outreach to be able to pull in speakers. Um, I got a pretty good response rates from that. I think probably another point that really a lot of people don't know, you know, we cut this check and you've got to cut all the, you got to spend all this money before you make a single dollar, uh, which is pretty scary. But when the tickets come in um, is one that I was really trying to find an answer for when I was doing a lot of Googling and we couldn't find it. We really couldn't find where that was coming from. And I was asking a whole bunch of people trying to figure out where the hell do all the tickets come from? Like, when do they come in? At what point do they come in? And we actually had a mentor who's Steve um, Monroe, who is the owner of Hubud, which is a co-working space. And he's run a conference successfully on, um, on co-working for the last couple of years. And we were freaked out because in January, so we started promotion in January, we sold 9% of our overall tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and we thought to ourselves, oh crap, we're, we're screwed. Uh, this, is, this is not a good idea at all, right? Um, and then Steve said, no, no, you're exactly on track. This is exactly what you wanna go. And February, we did 19%, March, we did 30%, and April, we did 15, May, we did 28, and June, we sold 10% of tickets, and June is when we had the conference. So you can see, like, May and April, we sold about 45% of all tickets. Um, and if you actually include March, March, April, May, three months beforehand, we sold 60, 70, almost 70% of all tickets. Yeah, I think that's fairly typical. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing, especially for a first event. I think um, obviously repeat event, you can hopefully sell a lot more with an early bird, a super early bird directly after the event. But for a first mm -hmm. conference, it, I think that's about right, how you had it. Yeah, and I mean, that's another thing that comes up how many of your alumni tickets, how many alums should you be selling to? What's the rate? <laughs> What's success? What isn't? Uh, I was talking to Ryan Dice from Traffic and Conversion Summit, and he said if you can get a 50% alumni conversion rate, you're in really good shape. Yeah. So if 50% of 2018 comes to 2019, you're good. We're probably floating around that number approximately. So we actually sold 2019 from the end, from the stage at 2018. And I think we sold, I can't remember, a couple dozen tickets or something like that. Uh, it was actually a horrible launch because we kind of just came up with that idea basically at the conference. Because <laughs> yeah. everyone was pressuring us saying, well, you should, you know, when can I buy tickets for next year? And they said, well, we haven't really thought about that yet. And they said, you're missing a huge opportunity if you don't sell these tickets right now. So. We did, and um, that was that was really powerful. But a proper launch, I have a friend of mine, Matt Kepnis, who runs a conference called TravelCon that I spoke at last year, and he sold almost he completely sold out on his alumni push on the last day, yep. which was amazing. Uh, but he had a really slick launch. He basically had an app, and he said, "Hey, everybody, click click here." Here, the, the tickets are now available and he literally had his phone out and he was doing a screen share on the big monitors so everyone was just super clear of how to come in convert and buy for next year that's a really good way to do it yeah I mean I know um, I was involved in running um, MicroConf Europe, Europe with Rob and Mike and they've grown now but in the old days they'd often sell out pre-sell out 100% to all the to previous attendees you know you, you, you can do it you know I mean 
that fifty percent number alumni number is a great one, but I mean, you know, people have almost a hundred percent return. You know, but it, the, the bigger you get, the harder it gets to get anywhere close to that. There. Yeah, I discovered that at this point is um, as you continue to scale. Like, I think um, Matt from TravelCon maybe had five hundred, six hundred attendees, and um, someone at like uh, Trafficking Conversion Summit has 5,000 attendees. So realistically, you're probably going to have your core community at the first or second year. That's the true believers that would come to a conference like that. And then as it scales, you get the guys that maybe will pop in for two years and then pop out. I know Saster is running right now. And we went to Saster, I think, for two or three years. But we don't go anymore because we've kind of just collected as much information as we need. And the value prop isn't as big as it was. And we don't really sell to SaaS. Uh, we're more of a it's just our business model, so uh, we don't we don't come back. But a lot of other people are just there every single year, and it's really cool to see those hardcore communities kind of continue to come back every single year. And that's what we're trying to do with Running Remote. Definitely, yeah. That that's a, that's a great way to do it. I mean, there's a lot of great examples. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm a member of the Dynamite Circle. They have DCBKK, and that's a, that's a similar thing, I think, to what you're going for. Is it? You know, they've got a, they've got a hardcore community that go you know most years to that conference. Absolutely. Great. So any other tips uh, on, um, on running anything else, like any, like anything like counterintuitive, like you, you found out that you weren't expecting in terms of when you were, were running the event. Costing will always get out of whack. <clears throat> that's, just, that's like, yeah, that's like uh, a business, any business. I think that's the case, <clears throat> isn't it? Yeah, we had a pretty solid projection with regards to costs, and uh, I believed it when we signed it, and I think we doubled it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like we paid, I think it was like three to four thousand dollars worth of drivers. <laughs> uh, we had drivers just sort of sitting around, um, making sure that the speakers could get wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted, instantaneously. Right? They could snap their finger and have a car show up in thirty seconds. That was expensive, and and that's uh, probably a case of like if you eighty twenty rule or something. Like that. That's a case of well, if that hadn't have been there, it probably would have been fine. You could have saved. You probably could have saved three thousand on that. You know, absolutely. Like we're looking through, so we we put up our P and L on on the post that I'm referring to, and we probably found. I'd say probably 30% of that was fat that we could have cut. We wanted to have people, we wanted people to have like a really interesting gift in the goodie bag that was very unique. We didn't want to have a t-shirt or a pen or anything like that. So what we got was local craftsmen to make a, um, a fan at the event and it has a, it's running remote branded. So it has a beautiful running remote image on it and it's all done by hand and it's made from bamboo and it's beautiful. They were 20 bucks a pop, right? So $20 times 300 is a lot of cash. And when we looked at the reality of the impact on that, no one was really using the fans. So is it cool? I don't know. Should, you know, could we have saved five grand? Probably. (laughs) Uh, We, we also had, the, the event, the venue that we had was a beautiful venue. It was a five foot tall teepee made out of bamboo and it was open air. So what we did is, or the bottom of this, this bamboo teepee was open to the air. So we actually brought in, uh, I think it was 10 industrial AC units. 
And we were running those AC units constantly, and we were getting about 25 degrees Celsius in that venue. Uh, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but that was something that a couple, couple people were unhappy about. Right. It, it wasn't really AC to the degree to which you want. But if you want an epic venue, honestly, you gotta you got to sacrifice a little bit for that. Uh, the other thing which was pretty surprising for us is the venue is a um, – it is a internationally renowned vegetarian uh, resort. So they do not allow meat on the premises. And that's kind of the Bali thing, right? Very much, yep. very, very crunchy granola in that context. Uh, but we had, um, when we initially went to the event to look at the food, the food that they presented to us was beautiful, a la carte, high end. But then they gave us a buffet version, which was not what we signed up for. And it was all vegetarian. And people said, we want a burger. We want meat. So I think we scored a 3.2 out of 5 on the food, which right. was our lowest rating. Uh, and we collected data on everything. I'm very data-minded, if you probably recognize that based yeah. off of all the kind of data points that I'm pulling out. but. We were very, very data-minded, so we wanted to record everything so that we knew what we could improve next year and what we were do, weren't doing well at, and the food was by far the worst thing uh, that we did <laughs> at yep. the conference. So next year, you're going to have meat if you want it. Sure. I mean, yeah, it'd be great for me. I'm a vegetarian, but uh, I can understand people get pretty crazy about that kind of thing. The one thing I, I found I, I, if you should never kind of economize on and, and people always complain if you do is is a networking party, you know, paying for drinks, having a great party, at least one, if if not two or three, you know. And uh, I don't know how I don't know how you handle the networking party, but for me, that's always kind of the cornerstone. Mm. Yeah, we had so I think we actually screwed that up too because we <laughs> divided the so we did have we had uh, parties every night, and what we're actually planning on doing next year, which I think will be a little bit different, is. If you would like to, I'm probably you, attend, you you run 300 conferences a year, so you probably know what I'm talking. When you first go to a conference, you show up in your hotel room and you don't really know anybody, especially if you just don't know anyone that's attending sure. the conference. You're all alone. So the first night, you basically spend in your hotel room watching Netflix and you know getting a hamburger or something like that. So what we're planning on doing is, if you are interested, you can opt in to a dinner. And you will be connected with 10 other people that we think are interesting. And you say, go to this restaurant at this time. Here are the other people that are attending the dinner. And you're all going to dinner together. You're all paying. <laughs> you're split. Like, we're not, we're, not cut, we're not paying for that. We might actually be able to negotiate some discounts with some of the local restaurants. But then at least you have nine interesting people that you can have a chat with to kind of touch point you through the rest of the conference that you can kind of reconnect with them over the next two days but um the dinners that we had last year kind of the bar dinner events that we did is we divided the speakers and the attendees so we had the speakers go on another floor and we gave them a private dinner and then they were too tired after that to really go down and network with the attendees see this is I've got, a, I've got an opinion on this it's interesting everyone has a different one but i don't like having a separate speaker event i think the attendees want to meet the speakers, basically. And, and exactly what you said, if, if you expect them to come afterwards, they generally don't go. And, and also, 
it kind of filters back a bit that the attendees feel they're at their second division party. It's just my opinion, you know. I know people who, who love speakers, but that, that's, I, that's kind of how I always do my events, you know. Well, they're, they're the VIP, right? And everyone now, if there's a VIP, everyone wants to get into the VIP. Yep. And I think that if you, number one, if you're going to create a VIP, you should charge for it. Uh, we, we didn't, like it was only speakers. We probably could have charged, you know, 5X, 10X the ticket price to be able to get that extra advantage for attendees. But next year, what we're doing is we're just throwing all the attendees and the speakers in the same spot because yeah. for us, that's a lot better for them. And one other thing that was really kind of a little bit of an extra kind of hack, I think you could almost call it, I think we could probably give this away because it's not that big of a deal for us, but we got all of our speakers diplomatic immunity wow. when they entered Indonesia. So if you enter Denpansar, which is the major airport that you enter Bali uh, through, there's a line that takes like 45 minutes to get through, which has like 500 people in it. And then there's a diplomatic line that usually has one person in it. So we were able to just get, get everybody diplomatic immunity and that was really impressive towards the speakers they all really enjoyed that and it didn't cost us that much to be able to do that and it kind of really gave them a really fantastic first impression of us now we screwed up a whole bunch of stuff for them <laughs> over the next two days but at least that was a first initial positive impression for them that they really loved fantastic look Liam, i know we're pretty much out of time we've actually run run a little bit over but um I want to I want to say a huge thanks for coming on. There's been so many um, so many knowledge bombs you've dropped. I'm I'm going to uh, I'm busy scribbling notes and I'm going to list them all out in the description. So of course everybody should check out Running Remote. Is there any other links uh, you want to promote or anything else you want to tell people about? If you want to demo a Time Doctor, go to timedoctor.com. Uh, we're also really we've put all of our conference talks up for free at youtube.com/runningremote. So if you're interested in actually checking out some of the talks and getting a taste for the conference before you decide to pick up a ticket, that's probably a great place to start. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Liam, and all the best with 2019's conference. Thanks a lot. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? Events Frame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result, you sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 